You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we start a new series, and uh, you know, all of us, like that video says, would like to have, or many of us know someone who needs one, or maybe we were given one, another chance, chance to start over, chance to do it again, uh, a chance to, uh, to make things right. Well, today... We're going to talk about that very thing. We're going to talk about a family, and we're going to talk about the experiences of this family. Today we start a series called Redemption, and we're going to unpack that word redemption in the next couple of weeks. Um, Today, however, we're going to focus on kind of the core ideas of what that means um, about starting over, a series about about, uh, those who, who just seem like they've gone too far. Maybe you feel like you've gone too far. Maybe you are thinking of a family member or a friend that, that you think they have gone too far or you, or you know that they feel that they've gone too far. But I want you to know that you're as long as you're breathing air and you're alive on this planet, you're not t- uh, too far. And either is your friend, either is that person that you love, your son or your daughter or your uh, your your father, your parents. Um so what we're going to do over the next few weeks, so we're going to look at what I call stories of the runners, stories of those who ran from God, stories of those who blew it big time with God, but yet how somehow they hadn't gone too far and how God wasn't done with them, who heard their name called by the Savior and who came home. Uh, those once they were received, they were redeemed. We're going to, like I said, we're going to unpack that. We're a little bit more. It means to be bought back or made valuable again. So we're going to be talking about the stories of redemption, particularly people that ran away. So today we're going to talk about a particular story about uh, a family, about a father and two sons, probably uh, the most popular of all redemption stories, uh, very popular story, and it includes uh, a table setting for three. It's about two sons and a father and their chairs at the table. We're going to talk today about a story that some of you guys have heard before called the prodigal son. Now, I'm not sure if you even know what prodigal means. By the way, the word prodigal isn't even in the Bible. It's not even in the story. It's this story of the prodigal is only found in one of the four gospels of the life of Jesus. It's found in the gospel of Luke and it's in Luke chapter 15. So if you want to turn to that, you can get it ready. But the word prodigal just means wasteful. That's what it means. It's the story of a couple of wasteful sons. Uh, Here's the backstory of this story. Um, Jesus is, is teaching about the kingdom of God. And while he's teaching about the kingdom of God, he's having dinner, he's having table, he's, he's eating meals with people. I'm going to pull this back so you guys in the top can see it. He's eating with basically uh, people that are called the sinners, the rejected. He's eating with prostitutes. He's eating with, with uh, you know, the, the pimp daddies. He's, he's eating with the drug addicts. He's, he's eating with, with, the, uh, with the adulterers and with the sexually confused and with the thieves. He's, he's eating with the people 
who the Bible and who you and I might call sinners. He's having dinner with them. He's having a time of of loving on them and caring for them and celebrating with them. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the, the, the churchgoers of that time, they approached Jesus and they asked actually a pretty good question. They said, Jesus, if you are a holy man, like you say that you are, how is it that you are always hanging out with sinners so often? How is it that you're hanging out with all these people that we would never sit down at a table with? And Jesus says, well, let me answer you in three stories. So Jesus tells three stories, three lost and found stories, three stories about things that are lost and things that are found. And the first story in Luke 15, he talks about the lost sheep. He says that there's a shepherd who, who, who would leave all of his sheep in the hands of, of people who were respectable and who could manage the sheep. But the shepherd, the head shepherd, would leave the hundred to go find the one. And how much of a celebration it is when that shepherd finds that one lost sheep and how the master seeks out those that are lost. And then he says there's another story about a lost coin. There's a woman who has a set of 10 very valuable coins, but she's lost one of them. And in the story, Jesus says, she turns her house inside out and upside down, looking everywhere in the house. And then she rejoices to find that one lost coin and how the master goes to great lengths to seek and to find those that are lost. And then he says, now there's a third story where the master doesn't seek, but where the lost item is a son who returns on his own. And this lost son, the response of two rebellious hearts and two lost sons. All these stories are about the value of lost and found people. He says, I'm sitting at a table with people who are lost. He goes, I want to tell you a story. I've told you the first two. They're actually pretty short. And then he spends the majority of his story on the third story. He says, these people are mine, and I want to bring them back. And they're valuable to me, and I'm going to celebrate with their return. And here's the third story. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 15. By the way, this isn't just a kid's story for some flannel graph. This is for you. He was speaking to adults. He was speaking to churchgoers, in fact. And this is what he says, Luke 15, verse 11. He says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. A dad who had two sons running the family business. So here's the dad and two sons sitting at the table their entire life together. He says, the younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of my estate. Now, he says, basically says, I know I'm going to get it when I die, but I want to live like you're dead already. He says, but I want it now, and I want to live like you're dead. Man, try that one on your parents. You know, (laughs) I love you, but you know, I want what's coming to me. Give me what's coming to me because I want to live like you don't even exist, like you're already dead. This is an incredibly shameful, incredibly disrespectful thing to ever ask. And I'm sure the Pharisees were going, Oh, what an incredibly rude, disrespectful, dishonorable son to ever ask that. 
This is a terrible, terrible thing. This was not a good person. So the father divided his property property between the two of his sons, between them. He gave to the younger son what was coming to him, which is a third of all of his possessions. He gave him the value of a third of everything. You Imagine if that was kind of the custom in your life and, and that a third of everything you had was going to go to your two sons. And, and it was divided up according to how many kids you had. And of course, the more kids you had, the less you would give out. The eldest, the oldest son would give the larger portion. Everybody else would get a smaller portion. The older son got uh, two thirds in this story. The, uh, the younger, uh, a third. And there's this sense that, that he, he wanted it now. So you would have to go to the bank and you would have to kind of start gathering property and building equity and liquidating and garage sales and selling on eBay and, and getting rid of and, and getting rid of the land and the property just to raise them and the headache just to give your son a third of his possessions, the, the monetary value of his possessions. He had to accumulate it. He had to prepare it and he had to give it to his son. So the Pharisees were like, man, that son, man, that, that son is so, so Rude, deeply insulting. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country. So his table setting had been turned upside down and he was no longer at the table anymore. And he had set off for a distant country. Basically, he's saying, you know what? This is, a, this is a Jewish family, and this is a Jewish story being told to Jewish people. And when a young person leaves the land where his family lives, then they're journeying into pagan country. They're, they're traveling into a, a country and areas where people do not serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's basically telling them, this kid didn't just you know, want his money and to start a business and to stay in town. No, he left his family he left the faith of his family. He left his church, his community. He left everything religiously that was a part of his life. And he traveled to pagan, distant countries. He, he traveled to a distant country, a pagan land, and there squandered his wealth and living. Basically, his maturity showed. Uh, he heads to Las Vegas. And he blows it all on, on craps. So he, he, he goes in there and it's like uh, just another woman, uh, another shot, another hit, another needle, another game, and another, and another, and another. And he's just flying through his money. Now, I want you to realize that this table had been set for him and his brother. The father and these two sons The table was set for them and he benefited. He always benefited from the father's provision. He had a place with his dad, but he didn't want it anymore. So I want you to understand this. If you're, we're talking about the father, some things to understand about some runners and how dads respond to runners is the first thing is this a good dad, a loving dad. He'll let you leave. A good dad will let you leave. Leave. Some of you have gone through this maybe with a child of your own. And you say, you know what? I love you, son. Uh, I love you, daughter. But you know what? Uh, if this is the way you want to live, if this is the way you want to do things, if this is how you want to be, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. You know, my, my brother left our house when he was 16 years old. He uh, was sick of our family. 
We're sick of our life. We're sick of being forced to go to church. And, and uh, my mother was trying to, to rein him in. And, and uh, she said, you know what? If you want to go, go. And he went to live with my dad. And he, he lasted there less than a year. As soon as he turned 17, he said, see you, dad. And he ran as, as far away from his family as possible. He ran to Florida. And he lived on the beaches of Florida. Now, he was a runner. And sometimes you just have to let them go. We see this throughout the Old Testament, how God does this to, to people as well. And how God gave us, some of you, over to themselves and to self-destruction. Look at Psalm 81, 11. It says, but my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. Judges 16.20, Samson, man, he was a, a man called of God to do great things. But Samson was always running, man. He was running to the women. He was always running to alcohol. He was always running to wild women. He loved to fight. and He was an angry person, and he just loved to get into trouble. And eventually, he hooked up with this girl who God said to run away from, and he ran to her. And she, she deceived him, and this is what happened. She woke him up because she was trying to trick him and trying to get him caught by the Philistines. And she says, uh, then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. God had cut him loose. He's like, Samson, you want to run? Then run. If you want to go, you want to follow your own desires, well, let's see how that works out for you. I'm out. God will often allow you to fail so that you can see that he is right. Romans 1, 21 through 32, it says many, many times that God gave them over. God gave them over to. God gave them over to. In fact, it says three times God gave them over to what they wanted. He says God gave them over to sinful desires. He gave them over to shameful lust, and he gave them over to the deceits of their own heart, which is deprived thinking. He says God let them go. He says you want to live the way you, you want to you be crazy, you be crazy. You, you, want, you want to run for me, I'm going to let you run because that's what a dad does who loves you. He'll let you leave. Mark 10, uh, a, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I want to join your gang. I want to join your group. Uh, sign me up. Where, where's the form? Where's the application? And Jesus knew that this rich young man had a, another God other than the Lord God, and that God was that man's money. So he said, you know, if you want to follow me, what you need to do is you need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And then the man says, but I can't do that. I've got a lot of money. And Jesus basically said, bye. And he let him leave. And Jesus often, he didn't go, whoa, 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 wait, I'm just kidding. Sell 50%. Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Okay, 10%. Just give 10% to the poor and then come join them. You know what? Don't even give it to the poor. Give it to us. It'll go right back into, into you, right? Because you're with us. No, he said, you know what? No other gods before me. Your money's your God, so bye. If you, if you want to hang on to that, I'll let you leave. In fact, Jesus saw thousands of followers leave him quite often because he would preach a word that was so challenging that they left and he didn't go, guys, just kidding, just kidding. You don't have to give your life. Just attendance on Sunday is cool. Just a tithe. Just, that's good. Cool. You know that, you know, Jesus asked for everything. 
And he'll let you leave if you're not ready for that. Jesus says, you want to know something about my dad? Know this. He gave you all that you have. And if you want to live as if he's dead, well, go ahead. He'll let you go. So that's the son. Everything he had was given to him by his father. But he wanted to live like he was dead. And his dad said, well, go ahead. Pick up the story in Luke 15, verse 14. It says, after he, the prodigal, this wasteful son, had spent everything, after he blew it all, there was a severe famine in the whole country. The stock market crashed. The economy crashed. Tough times. Famine hit the land. No work. Jobs were tough. And he began to be in need, it says. Verse 16, so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that foreign country who sent him into their fields to feed pigs. Now, this is the lowest of the lowest jobs for a good Jewish boy. Because in the Jewish community, they weren't allowed to eat anything that was a scavenger. That means they can't eat lobster and shrimp and crawfish and certain kinds of animals. And one of those scavenger animals is a pig. And pigs will eat anything and everything that's put in front of them. This garbage of slop that they eat is disgusting. And the Jewish people said, that is a dirty animal. And according to Jewish law, you're not even allowed to touch them, work with them, or be around them because they're nasty, sinful animals that eat the garbage. Well, here's this Jewish kid that's the only job he could get on a pig farm. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods, the garbage, the junk, the leftovers, the raw meat and sludgy vegetables, the the rotten food that the pigs were eating. He looked at their slop and he wanted it. And it was the lowest moment in his life. He was starving. He couldn't make any money to make uh, uh, a real meal to get real food. And he's eating and, and working with animals that are disgusting. He's seeing what they're eating. He's like, oh, how far have I come? Living in the, in the nicest hotel room and on the strip in Las Vegas. And now I'm in the mud, eating this garbage out of a pig pen. He said he was longing just for anything. And it says, but no one gave him anything. Guys, listen, the world's not your friend. They don't care about you. They'll only spend you. Guys, I want you to know that you don't have to be eating pig slop before you realize your need for God. You don't have to be in the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of your life before you realize. You don't have to be in the gutter to look up to the curb. You don't have to be there. But many times our pride, our arrogance, our attitudes, you know, it takes us to those places. And God allows us to get there so that our eyes can be opened. And guys, you don't have to be in the lowest moment of your life before you realize your need for Jesus. This is a big part of this story, is that you don't have to be that prodigal. You don't have to be someone who runs from the table of God. You don't have to be someone who is in complete desperation. You see, he's about to go home, and it wasn't his guilt that brought him back. It was his desperation that brought him back. You don't have to be desperate, but oftentimes that's what it takes. That's oftentimes where many people give their life to Christ. You know, you have guys who give their life, women that give their life, and 
in prison or in a divorce or in a, in a struggle, a trial, a death in the family. And it's like they're at their lowest point of need and they finally see God. It would be great if you could just recognize your need, that you are a sinner, that we're all separated from God. We're all born dead in sin, but we can be alive in Christ. That's why a lot of times teenagers have a hard time connecting who they are in God because they haven't really had a moment of desperation where they realize their deep need. If you can have that spiritual movement in your life to recognize how needful you really are without having to eat pig slop, what a happy day it is for you. But most of us, we have to be in that pig pen before we can see it. His sticks, his uh, five steps to the pig pen were pride, selfishness, separation. He left all those that loved him wasteful. And then he had reckless and foolish choices. These five steps took him to the pig pen. Luke 15 says, but when he came to his senses, he came up with a plan. When he came to his senses, I want you to write this down. In life, turning to dad is the only thing that will ever make sense. Turning to dad, turning to God is the only thing that will ever make sense. In this life, in this world, the more we understand the complexities of science, the more God makes sense. In this life, the more we struggle with pain and loss and death, the more we, we experience the realities of terror and evil, the more we start to see that God is the only thing that truly makes sense in this world. He's the only thing that makes sense. You can't figure it. Your love life, it makes no sense. Your marriage, your kids, your plans, your agenda, things just... Nothing makes sense but Jesus. Proverbs 12, 5 says, there's a way that leads, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. You know, if we follow on our own senses, it leads us to destruction, it leads us to the pig pen. But the only thing that makes sense, the only thing that will ever make sense in your love life, in your career, in your job, in your school, the only thing that will make sense with your friends is dad. That's the only thing that really makes sense. Luke 15, 17, it says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. And I, he says, I will, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He says, Man, I've got a plan. I'm going to go back to dad and I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to say, dad, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against, I've sinned against God. I was wrong. You were right. I'm wasteful. Just, just make me a servant. Anything at all. Your will, just anything you have. He's going to go back and he's going to just, God, make me anything. He's saying, dad, I'll do anything. So he got up and he went to his father. That's what it says in verse 20. Now I can see him walking all the way. All right. Rehearsing. All right. How am I going to say that? Dad, 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 I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, no, dad, man, <clears throat> dad, 
I'm so sorry. You know, he's walking the whole way. I'm going to have him say, I'm so sorry. I'm a sinner. I've, I've done so many things wrong. Where do I begin? I made it. I made some notes. Remember when I was five? Uh, that was me. That wasn't my brother. I, and you're going through the list and he's, he's thinking, man, I'm just, I'm so ashamed. This is, I feel so broken. I, I, I'm, Man, what a weasel. How terrible, man. He gave me everything that was becoming. Man, he sacrificed his own income, his own life, his own business. He sacrificed everything he, he had for me. And, and all of a sudden, he, he can't sleep. He said, I, I blew it and I've sinned against you. He begins to walk more. Man, I've, I've sinned against God. Is he even going to want me? Is he even going to want to talk to me? Is he even going to want me in the house? And what are people going to think? What are the, what are my friends going to think? They're going to think I was a fool. They knew I blew it. They're going to say, I told you so. He get, man, God, I, dad, I, I, I'll sleep in the shed. I'll, 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 I'll be a slave. I'll eat outside. I'll, I'll be like an animal. I'll pay back everything. Just, just let me be your servant. Anything, please. I can see that long walk home. I want you to notice the change between verse 12 and verse 19. And verse 12, before he left, he said, he said, Father, give me, give me my share. He said, Father, give me what I want. But on his way home, he was saying, I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like a servant. So before he left, it was give me what I want. But on his way home, it's make me a servant. Here's the third thing I want you to write down about the runners is that the road home starts with a change of attitude. The road home starts with an inside job. To come home, we must go from give me to make me. You see, the core of rebellion is give me, but the core of brokenness is make me. Some of you guys, you want to know how you're doing with God? Very simple question. You want to know how you and God are doing? And, you know, I mean, maybe you go to church. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're, you know, uh, you, you know, a giver. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're a volunteer. Maybe you're not. Maybe you come every Sunday. Maybe you don't. Uh, you want to know how you're doing with God? You, you want to know? This is the question. How much of your life is give me? And how much of your life is make me? Is, are most of your prayers, God, give me money. Give me a position. God, give me a raise. God, let me have that car. God, give me that car. Give me that position. God, give me love. I'm lonely. God, give me love. Give me a boyfriend. Give me a girlfriend. Or is it God, break me. God, make me. God, I'll do anything for you. God, what you have for me, I will do. It doesn't matter. I just want to be with you. Your will be done wherever whatever, I'll do anything. See, that's the grade of where you are with God. The give me or the make me. Some of us are prodigals in our heart. We don't even realize it because we spend most of our time saying, God, give me my inheritance. God, give me my estate. We're out here doing things, spending our money, spending our lives, spending our time on stuff that are just squandering away our life. And the father saying, I gave it to you. So that you could do something for us together. And the whole time you're out there doing what you want, saying, God, give me more. But the change came when he started coming home. The only thing that made sense was being with dad. And he began to realize, I'll be anything. I'll do anything. I just want to be 
home. I just want to be with my dad and give me what to make me. So how do you get home? It's through a broken road, realizing your need. In Psalm 52, it says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the broken heart, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. It is a broken spirit that sees the way home. It's the make-me's, not the give-me's, that see the value of home. So he's headed home in verse 15, Uh, chapter 15, verse 20, and he says this. He says, but while he was still a long way off, I love this one of the great verses of the Bible. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. Now, Now, guys, when the Pharisees heard this part of the story, when the religious folks are like, what kind of grown man runs? In the culture of the Jewish community, for a grown man to run is showing a lack of dignity and respect. So they're thinking, how? How shameful that this father would run to his squandering, wasteful son. But that's exactly the story that Jesus gave, is that this father, he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him And he kissed him, which is a very common love greeting there. And I want you to hear this. I can, I can see this. I can, I can see it. The son's walking and he goes, I know it's just, just right over that hill. Do I know what I'm going to say? Uh, dad, I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. Uh, uh, just make me a servant and, and anything. And he knows that at, right as he hits that horizon is going to be, he's going to be able to see his house. And so, Right as he hits that hill, he sees his house and his dad, who's, who's, who's out in the land farming. He's got his big, strong, muscular farming arms. And he, he looks up and he's sweating and he's got the plow in his hands. And he looks up and he sees, is that, is that my son? Is, is, that, is that it? No, that's, it is. It's, it's him. And he takes off like a bullet, this grown man, this big, muscular man's man, gets to his son, grabs him and squeezes him. Tears are streaming down his face. His big, muscular, sweaty arms are just pulling his son in and in and into his chest. I love you, son. I love you. I love you. I love you. Five signs of the Father's grace are right here. In verse 21, he says, the son said to him, he tries to say what he rehearsed on his long walk home. His father's hugging him and kissing him. And he said, he tries to interject. Uh, The son said to him, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and I'm no longer worthy to call your son. And before he can even get out the rest of it, the father interrupts and says, hey, hey, everybody. He says, he says, but the father said to the servants, quick. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Man, get him some new clothes and, and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Man, this is the key to his future. That means you're my son again. Because the ring was a symbol, as a key to his relationship to his father. And he says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Man, they, this is a culture that didn't eat meat very often. But when they did, it was a party. It was a celebration. It says, man... Let's kill that cow and let's have a barbecue, 
like we've never had. Let's have a feast and celebrate. He says, for the son, the son of mine was dead. Guys, I want you to realize that in this culture, when a son receives his inheritance and abandons his family, it is very common for the culture, for the family, for the parent to assume that that child is dead to them, even though they might be alive. That's the context here. He's saying, you know what? He was dead to me, but now he's alive again. He was lost. Remember, he's telling three lost stories, and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Let's party. Puts his arm around his son. He says, let's go home, son. Let's go home. And they make their way back to the table. I want you to, there's five signs of the father's grace here. It's the kiss, that's a sign of forgiveness. The robe, that's a sign of honor. The ring, that's a sign of authority. And the sandals, that's a sign of freedom. And the feast, well, that's a sign of a celebration of a joyful welcome. Because you see, the servants went barefoot. So when he put sandals on his son's feet, it says, you're no longer bound, you are free. I can imagine the son weeping. I can imagine the dad weeping and crying and he, my dad loves me. He loves me. I'm so glad I came home. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I came home. Guys, how much does God love you? Well, he loves you so much, he'll let you go. And he loves you enough to let you hit bottom. And he loves you enough to let you come back. And he loves you so much that he'll run out to meet you. See, the son came home. Dad threw a party in his honor. There was now a feast. But now this son is absent. As he comes to the feast, they're having this party. And this son is present and the dad is present. But he looks over and he sees that the oldest son is not at the table. And now this son has gone wandering. This son is off. The feast was prepared, the table was set, and there next to his father is the son. So the barbecue, the music, the crowd, but this is the story of two sons, two prodigals. So let's read the rest. In verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He hears the party from the field. He hears it from the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked, Hey, what's going on? Verse 27, he says, the servant says, well, what, Your brother has come home and, and your father has killed a fat calf because he has, he's come back safe and sound. And, and I, I got to get a shirt on because I got to go get some more tables. And I got to get some more chairs. And, and I got to get a tablecloth. And, and, and come on, you got to go by. And, and, he, and he leaves and he's in a hurry and He's grabbing supplies, and you think the older brother will go, Yes, my best friend, my brother is home. But that's not what he does. Look at the next verse. It says, But the older brother became angry and refused to go in. He refused to go to the table. So his father went out and he said, Son, now this is interesting too, because the first son, he let the son come back. See, his three lost stories where he is a shepherd searching for the sheep and bringing it back. It's the woman who lost her coin, who searches the entire house and rejoices when she finds it. 
But this third story has a son that leaves. The father does not go after him. But the other son who is abandoned to the family for work, the father goes seeking after him. I want you to notice this. He goes to his son and he pleads with him, son, this is a party. This is a celebration. This is a great moment for all of us. Come in here. But he answered. His father said, look, dad, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, ever disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he didn't even acknowledge him as his own brother. When this person, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, we begin to find out what kind of life this other son had when he went off and blew it. It was not just, you know, blowing money on the, on the, on the gambling tables. Man, he lived a very wild life of sex and prostitutes and, and drunkenness. He said, but when this guy squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? You give him a big barbecue party? Way to go, Dad. That's so uncool. That makes no sense. What have you ever done for me? I can see him. He's, Dad, I've always done everything right. And I'm a hard worker. I, I have been faithful to you my whole life. I've, I've never been drunk, never been high, never been stoned. I'm waiting for marriage. I'm keeping my life pure. God, what about me? Dad, what about me? What about my efforts? Where's my party? Where's my ring? I tried my best and I don't feel like you love me. It's the same thing some of us do with God. Verse 31, he says, my son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. He says, I love you and, and I know you and I see you and I, and I know what you're doing and I know what you've done and, and I acknowledge you and I, and I see you right in front of me. But listen, what you are doing is not anything that's going to make me love you anymore because what you have is already yours simply because you're my son. So come celebrate with us. It's already yours. Verse 32 But we had to celebrate, the dad says. We had to. And we have to be glad because this brother of yours, remember, he's family. While the brother says, the son of yours, he says, no, no, this brother of yours, he was dead. He's alive again. And he was lost. And he's found. And the story ends right there with a question given to the oldest brother. Are you now going to be the prodigal. Are you going to return to the table with me? He tells his son, your chair is empty. I want you to write this down. He says, dad's love simply needs to be accepted. It can't be earned. So that's what the oldest son was trying to do. Trying to earn his dad's love, earn his dad's acceptance, have this sense of confidence that he's done enough to make his dad happy. 
Ephesians 2, 8, a great passage, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He says, your work with him on the farm, your work for God on the farm of the kingdom of God, does not earn your favor with God. God basically says, you have my favor because you are my son because you are my daughter. So stop trying to work for it. Three things this story reminds us, and I'm going to pray for you. Is number one, the story reminds us of the heart of God. It reminds us of God's amazing love for those that are lost. His amazing love for the runners. His amazing mercy for those that you feel have gone too far, done too far, and experienced too much. Those who blew it, those who are outcasts, those who are forgotten, those considered hopeless. The story reminds us that those who run and want nothing to do with God, God loves deeply. He has a deep heart. Man, that guy at work, that girl, that person at school, that, that family member who you've written off as crazy uh, and has, has gone off the deep end as living a life that God would not want to be a part of. Guys, listen, the heart of God is come home. That's the heart. God's heart for you. Some of you here are the prodigals. Some of you are the runners. Some of you, you've been running and I want you to know God's heart for you is an invitation to come back to the table. His compassion for those who return and our heart that we are to have towards others. This is about how we should respond to those that come home. Here's the second thing this story reminds us of. Not only the heart of God, but it also reminds us of the consequences of rebellion. Guys, this, this youngest son who ran, well, he didn't get his inheritance back. He spent it. And he probably did have to work the rest of his life to make it back, to earn it back, to earn his inheritance back in a financial situation. Because his dad didn't have it in this story. This was a story based on real people, uh, a parable In this story, guys, listen, running will always leave you devastated. You can't expect to live reckless and avoid the cost of your choices. Some things are lost forever. Even when God welcomes you back, consequences will often follow you. Some of you, you've run and the pain that you've experienced will be with you for a long time. That suffering you experienced was very well and has cost you a lot. You've lost money, position, friendships, jobs. Coming home to God doesn't mean you'll get those back. Some of you have lost a marriage. Coming home won't necessarily mean that marriage will be given back. Some of you, you have come home with an addiction. Some of you have come home with a tra- uh, sexually transmitted disease. Uh, but I want you to know that when you come home, however, there is a great eternity ahead of you. And whatever baggage you come home with, the Father is able to help you through the uh, through that trial, through that addiction, through that struggle, and, and possibly give you deliverance. But it won't be without the consequences of your choices But when you come home, you know that you have an eternity ahead where you're going to be free from all of it. So the story reminds us of the cost of rebellion. And this is the last thing, is that the 
the story reminds us that the selfishness of the selfishness and stupidity of the religious. See, he's telling the Pharisees, he says, these people that you're so mad at me about having dinner with, well, that's the youngest son. That's the son who I've invited to dinner, who's come home. That's all these thieves and prostitutes. But I want to tell you something. He says, but you Pharisees, you're that bratty older brother trying to earn your way to God. You're that grumpy person who's always doing right but never happy, who's jealous. Guys, listen, there are so many Christians who become grumpy, angry, jealous people. I can't tell you how many Christians I've talked to that are almost angry at God for blessing somebody when a person who's lived for God their whole life gets no blessing, it appears to them. And so they're angry. They're almost spiteful towards God. You're breaking the heart of your dad. This is not the life he has for you. You see, this is an invitation of two prodigals. And we're all one of these two. You're either this prodigal or you're either this prodigal. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. So where are you in the family? John 10, 10 says this, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life abundant. That's the sweet spot of your walk with God. John 10, 10. Now I want you to look at this graph. I've got it on your worship guide. I want you to pull that worship guide out. If you have a pen, I want you to get that pen ready because there's two extremes. You have on one side, you have on the right, you have uh, you have your oldest son. On the right, you have your oldest son who's uh, who's slaving for life, lost in the kingdom, trying to earn God. And then you have the youngest son uh, on the left. And this this youngest son, uh, he's searching for life and he's lost in the world and he's trying to find God. Both of these sons are trying to find their dad. Both of these sons are lost. One searching for life and one slaving for his life. One lost in the world and one lost in the kingdom. Guys, both are lost. And this is an invitation. This is an invitation from a father. He's saying, he's saying, come home or come to the party. Where are you on that list? I want you to maybe write a pen. Where are you on that graph? Maybe you're in the sweet spot. Man, thank God for that. But maybe you're worn and weary and angry at God because you've been doing things right, but you're not seeing the fruit of it. Or maybe you're a prodigal and you feel judged, but you're ready to come home. You're ready to sit at the table with your dad. See, this is the story of two sons, the father who waits for one to come home and the one who he's waiting to come to the party. The choice is yours. Come home. And here's the deal. The father, he's ready. He's ready. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, Lord, you love us deeply. God, I pray that we would hear the cry of the father today. that we would come home. Head bowed, 
Eyes closed for just a moment. I want you to think of, of that graph, huh? The oldest or the youngest son, both lost, with a father calling both of them to come to the table. Where are you? Where are you? See, the father's love is something to be accepted. You can't earn it. Perfect attendance doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. But sitting at the table with dad in prayer, reading his word, and being a person of grace, saying, God, your will be done in my life. Here I am. I want to lead you guys in a prayer. If you're here today and you'd like to go from give me to make me, this is your day. This is your moment. Let's pray this prayer together. I mean, you can pray it to yourself. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer, but I want you to just take a moment. Say, God, here I am. Here I am. Go ahead and talk to him in your own language. You've been using your own words. God, here I am. Either Maybe you've been running from God or maybe you've been busy working for God, but whatever it is, you're one of those, and I want you to tell him, God, this is what I am. I'm, I'm, I've been running from you. I've been avoiding you. I've been trying to work really hard for you, or I've been blowing everything. I've... I've wasted my life, whatever. Tell him, God, this is who I am. Now, if this is your prayer, I want you to receive the forgiveness of Jesus. Thank you for loving me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of running. Forgive me of my pride, of my arrogance. Forgive me of thinking that I can somehow work my salvation. Now here's the key. I want you to say, God, make me a servant. Just make me a servant. Anything, anything at all. Your will, your will be done, Jesus. I'll do whatever. I'll go wherever. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.